Mr. Garrison, I think you shouldn't have come here. This is civil war. This is our war, not yours. 300,000 dead and counting. That's not a war, Mr. Ito. That's genocide. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 71, and today we're talking about Black Hawk Down. This great and fantastic film stars Josh Harnett, Ewan McGregor, Tom Sizemore, and a plethora of other great actors. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my good and dear friend, Mark, God, this place sucks, Slover. You know, helpful safety tip, if if you're going to be a militiaman and a ratty ass backward ass country don't ever decide to get in a gunfight on the top of a roof in the middle of the night when you know the opposition has helicopter gunships yeah important safety tip thanks egon and also joining us is our other very good and dear friend ken has anyone seen my donkey roni <laughs> donkey what donkey <laughs> nice donkey you didn't see the donkey <laughs> the the donkey cameo the donkey. in the movie yeah, yeah. The donkey cameo that yeah. Ridley Scott missed at one point. And, oh, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I, I It didn't have a major impact on me, sorry. It did for me. I thought it was it, funny as hell. Well, it's it's not like the Godfather donkey scene or whatever. But. Yeah, this is true. Uh, and also joining us is our other very good dear friend, Jeff. Jeff is a doornail Muncie. Uh, good evening, guys. I've um, been looking forward to doing this podcast for some time now, and with the uh, alcohol that I've had to consume tonight, hopefully it will not break down into tears at some point uh, through reviewing this. Yeah, that's this is uh, this is a tough movie to watch. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, this is uh, about the uh, Battle of Mogadishu or the raid uh, that we had done in Mogadishu back in uh, 1993, and it's based off a book by um, oh gosh, what was his name? Mark Bowden, I think it was. He wrote the book Black Hawk Down and. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, Ridley Scott uh, adapted this to uh, to film and did a a magnificent job, in my opinion. It's uh, the, the the book was a tough read um, in terms of just you know seeing what these guys were going through and everything like that. Uh, and the movie really uh, really captures it as well. As a matter of fact, I would say that uh, this is probably one of the most realistic looking combat movies i've ever seen i mean it, it actually made saving private ryan look tame by comparison just in terms of just the you know the look and everything on there but um again it's ridley scott so this is something that you know he was known for but um we did get uh, one of our uh, dedicated listeners uh made a comment on our facebook page stating that uh, this october is actually going to be the uh 20th anniversary of the battle and I, it just blew me away when he said this like holy crap has it been 20 years and i just thought that was i just thought that was pretty amazing that th- that much time has gone by because i remember when this when this happened when it came out well, something that hit me when i was watching this is that exact thing this feels when you're looking at at this you're thinking oh this is a modern movie about a modern military engagement but it's it's 20 years ago now yes 20 years ago isn't the ancient past but you know, to put it in context, you know, I was a little kid, let's say in 1965, and I was watching all these World War II movies, which was 20 years before. Right. 
and now this is just 20 years in the past. I mean, as that kind of a, a time frame has passed for me, it makes me feel very old, actually, but mm-hmm. a long time has passed since this actually occurred, and a lot of people today don't really even know about it. Or if they do know about it, all they know is this movie. Right. Well, because I think a lot of people had forgotten about the whole peacekeeping mission that we had over there uh, in Somalia. I mean, that that country was, you well, know, I mean, it was a basket case then. It's a basket case now. I think when my dad was in the Navy, I think they did a, a port call over there, and he said it was a basket case even back then. So I don't, I don't know if it's just one of those, it's just a lost country or what, but... You know, I mean, because there was just tribal warfare going on over there like crazy and just the starvation and everything like that. And they sent the U.N. in there to, you know, to try to provide some kind of humanitarian aid. And it just it seemed like that just didn't go didn't go as uh, go as planned, so to speak. Well, Steve, if I can jump in here, I do want to I do want to add a little context to it. There had been a, a great deal of tribal war, well, warfare going on, and there had been a lot of <clears throat> humanitarian aid that was being dumped in there. But the problem was the warlords were confiscating it and basically using it to feed their, their militias. Right. And the, the U.N. finally got tired of it, and um, so they wanted to go in. They had the, uh, the United States bring in um, basically the Marines to dish out the the, uh, the food aid. And um, while they were there, because I think they had 20,000 Marines come over, um, it did. It got dispersed. And before that, it was. It was nothing but just famine. It's what you would see in all of the aid commercials on TV, you know, kids with nothing but, you know, matted eyes and flies all over their faces. And, they, they, you know, it was like, how are they going to possibly live for another day? So they brought in the Marines. They um, stabilized the situation. They got the food out. They opened the roads. They got everything delivered. And um, during this time, they had decided to go ahead and try to uh, mediate the situation. And almost all of the uh, militias came to the table, except for Adid, mm-hmm. um, who had the most powerful militia, but what he did was he just kind of stayed back. He didn't do anything. It got to a point where we decided we were going to start, uh, we were going to pull out because the mission was accomplished. And um, when we uh, basically started doing that, Adid started to basically showed up and started attacking UN peacekeepers and started to attack Americans. Mm-hmm. And what was happening, the U.N. basically wanted us there, and they also wanted us to dispose of a deed. So the idea that was came up with was for the for them to basically send in the rangers after they realized that a peaceful solution wasn't going to take place. And the U.N. asked uh, the United States to come in with uh, special forces, and their, their goal was to capture a deed. That's where the movie takes off. Right. So that's pretty much the, I mean, the big history lesson there from Jeff. I think what was really upsetting about this is that, and they make a reference to it in the movie, uh, the military initially, when they were going to do this raid, they initially wanted to go in there with uh, with gunships and armor. And um, the administration at that time said no, because they wanted to go in there without a, a big footprint. They didn't want to cause a big ruckus. <laughs> Funny how that, how that turned out. <clears throat> so basically, you, you stuck a bunch of very highly trained guys you know, literally in the in the middle of thousands of heavily armed, hostile militia, and it really is uh, a testament to the fighting skill of those guys. That you know, we only lost eighteen or nineteen guys. You know, as they <clears throat> talk about in the movie, 
this is a dangerous daytime raid into a dangerous area of the city. And you know, I said, look, we need to have armor. We need to have basically the C-130 gunships flying over. And Washington says, no, we that's just that's just too high profile. Uh, damn it, that's what the general said. Damn it, that's give the general what he wants. Yeah. And this is you know this goes back to at least Vietnam. I'm sure it goes back to probably you know caveman day. I don't know, but. Let them do what needs to be done. Let the generals fight the war. And, you know, and so instead, you go in light. And even though they thought it was going to be a you know thirty minute round trip, obviously eighteen hours later they're coming home. Right. If there's any of our listeners out there that are our military, um, I know a couple of them are. I'm just kind of curious because again, I, I've never served or anything like that. But and I don't know what the, the circumstances were over there. But it seemed like when they found out that this whole thing went to shit it, it seemed like they waited a really long time before they finally said you know what maybe we ought to send some armor in there because it's you know at one point they actually did get the the pakistanis to go in with with some heavier equipment and and why them i don't i guess i don't know I, maybe it was explained in the book but i mean didn't we have bradley's there didn't we have any m1a's that we well, just said you know what all right, sorry, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with the uh, the congressional hearing afterwards, but I've got a hundred and some odd guys that are going to get butchered in the streets if, if we don't do something. Well, Jeff was saying this was done sort of on the cheap. For whatever reason, politically, they didn't want a big presence there, and uh, they sent in you know, white troops. And after the events in the movie occurred, it was just a few weeks more, and they cut the orders just to pack up and leave. Uh, they decided it wasn't worth the uh, heat they were getting, and you know the mission was you know to get it done. They'd have to you know put in more resources, and that wasn't something politically they had any uh, desire to. So I believe that is one of the biggest reasons why Mark Bowden you know wrote the book when he did that, that uh, brought about this movie was you know at the time this was a, a very big story. I mean it was in the news, it was in the papers, everybody talked about it. A lot of discussion on, you know, this can't be allowed to stand, or maybe this, you know, should have ever happened. You can make a good case either way. What what were we doing? You know, I, again, I don't want to make this a big political talk, because I'm here to talk about the movie, but there's a, a lot of ignoring this situation for months. Nobody in Washington really was giving it much attention. Then when all of a sudden, kaboom, you know, kaboom this death and destruction flared, there was a quick discussion, and the end result was, we, we are going to do this, we're leaving. Well, I think it's like any of the types of, any of those type of, you know, missions that we do. I think a lot of people look at it from the standpoint of, we're over there to try to help these people. They're all starving to death, and this is the thanks we get. You know, we're trying to make the situation better, and, and you can't. I mean, they even talked about that in there. They said, you know, this is our civil war. Why are you even here? And it's just... And I guess well, that's the case. When there's a civil war, any civil war, when anybody from outside comes in, it usually doesn't go well for them. They're not popular. I mean, to put this in a domestic thing, it's like, I think there's a lot of police officers that are sitting there like, well, you know, those people with that domestic disturbance should have been grateful to me for intervening. I was just trying to help. Right. <laughs> Instead of well, both of them pulling knives and stabbing me. Yes. And that's the way it works. Oh, I understand. And I think that's just, I think it's just the standpoint that I think a lot of us have now, or a lot of people have, um, about not wanting to get involved. Um, well, Steve, to answer your question, you know, why didn't they bring the tanks in earlier? Um, you know, the, the, the Rangers and Deltas wanted to do this. This was a, 
a quick in and out type of job. And the tenth armor or the tenth mountain and um and all the armor was wrapped up I think underneath UN jurisdiction. They it was underneath their control. And so Garrison didn't have any say over exactly what went on there. He had to get juice in there. And he had he sent one of his uh Yeah, I saw that. I mean I I I, I mean I did see that, but the point is is that that's our armor. It's not the UN's armor. And it's like if I've got a bunch of my guys getting chewed to pieces, I'm going to go get my armor. And if, you know, General from Pakistan doesn't like it, he can kiss my ass. I, I just, it just, to me, it's just not even, it's not even feasible that we would allow that to happen. And it just seems well, to me that it's, if, it, it's, if it was that easy, though, he would have done it. But as it illustrated in the movie, it took a long time to get all the resources together. If he just had it, it would because you saw once the units came back to base, and there's a story that even the cook grabbed his gun when they got back to base and jumped in a Humvee to go back out to get the guys that were stranded. I mean, everybody that could have got in a Humvee and went back out. So to get the armor again, it was underneath. It was out of his jurisdiction. What's What's interesting is all this stuff was only about a mile away. But when you're going through a city of apparently thousands and thousands of people throwing some sort of lead down on top of you, it takes a while to get there. Oh, I believe it. I mean, I thought that Ridley Scott did a really good job of depicting that. You know, Mark, you've been you've been silent. What, what do you think? A couple things. I think that th- this is almost like watching a symphony with a conductor. Ridley Scott has a lot of moving pieces or a lot of different performances going on at the same time. There are different action sequences constantly occurring and shifting um, from helicopters to uh, one or two men to whole groups um, to back to the headquarters. And I think this is an outstanding piece of filmmaking that at some points I almost felt, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way or a negative way, that it was like watching the documentary that played out in real time. I would argue that this is one of if not his best movie, definitely one of his finest pieces of directing because of what he had to do to tell this story, and it could have been very easily bogged down or lost. Uh, You could have lost momentum or lost your sense of who, what, where, when, especially when everybody's in chocolate chips and BDUs and kind of hard to keep track of who the people are because they all look very similar. Go figure. You're in the uniform. I think that's one thing. The other is, this is probably in the last, this movie came out, what, 2001? Yeah. In the last 13 years, I would argue that this is the best um, movie about combat and about American soldiers that that has been done. I mean, I know Zero Dark Thirty came out. I saw that. I've seen some of the other movies. But I would say this is one of the finest um, films of its type ever, but especially in the last 15 years. And what I think is also unfortunate is, there's really not been anything done about the valor and the service of the men who've served in the Iraq War. And I'll just say it quite frankly up front, if people haven't figured out our, our leanings, um, it's because Hollywood doesn't want to tell those stories. They want to tell PTSD, and they want to show bad, evil, um, bloodthirsty American soldiers. Um, and I, I gave at least got credit for staying true to Mark Bowden's work. And this is really a story about... Um, leadership, men under fire, 
valor and individual bravery. And I think it is a fantastic movie on all those counts. And it's a hard movie to watch. Don't think that this is an easy movie to watch or this is a rah-rah combat movie. It is not. It is very gritty, as Steve mentioned earlier. But it is an important movie that I think people should see. And you made a good comment there, Mark, about this almost seemed like this one was almost like a documentary. And it did in terms of just the way it was filmed and just the realism. Um, and, and it is. It is a hard, gritty movie to watch. Uh, but I think it also does show, and it shows very well, tremendous amount of bravery that those guys displayed over there. I mean, that just is... Uh, when Josh Harnett took his uh, chalk over to the down chopper, you know, he left those two guys behind, you know, like to cover the street. And then it's kind of like, they've been sitting there and sitting there and it's like, I don't think anybody's coming back. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the terror, I think that would be running through me would have been very difficult to deal with. And, you know, cause knowing, cause they don't even know where in the hell they're at. And they've just, and, and probably to them, they feel like they've been left behind, which I think probably at that point they, they were. And then, you know, when, you know, Harnett's got a whole bunch of other shit going through his head, and he probably did forget about the two guys he left behind. I don't know if he truly did or not, but you know, when you see those situations that those guys are in, and, you know, the, and I thought they did a really good job of displaying that. If I could jump in and just point out, tying these two thoughts together, the movie does a very good job of, putting you sort of in the mindset of all these different people doing all these different things in different locations. You get a whole different feel when you're like looking at the scenes of the guys back at headquarters versus the big groups of guys doing things, the small groups of people at a helicopter. It is a documentary in a lot of ways. I mean, the book is a, is an attempt to you know gather all the facts about this they use the book to make the screenplay and to do and apply the action. There are places where they deviated from the facts. They made up some composite characters, changed a few names, minor technical things. I know there's people in Somalia that you know, complain that you know their people weren't portrayed in the proper light. I hate to say it, but you know this is a movie made really for American or Western audiences, and I'm not trying to put people in Somalia down, but in the context of this movie, they're the opponents, they're the enemies. I, I guess they could have shown scenes of these guys chewing cot all day and getting high. I guess they could have shown scenes of them taking U.S. servicemen and dragging them through the streets and mutilating them. I guess they could have portrayed them in the right light. But I'm glad really Scott didn't go ahead and do that. Good <laughs> point. Well, if we want to talk about show, and I understand, I've read the same bullshit that you did, Ken, that... They're upset because they weren't portrayed in the right light. So if you're telling me that they weren't portrayed as these um, people that were committing genocide to each other in the right light, they're correct. We didn't show them in the right light. And maybe we should have done that in a follow-up movie. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad Ridley Scott didn't do that here. Um, getting back to a lighter side here. Um, I'm sorry. I, I get pissed off when I talk about this movie. I do, I do too. It's, it's, it's a it's, heavy movie, a very serious movie. Guys, you know, I did mention the some of the you know top people that were in this movie: uh, Josh Harnett, Tom, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor, Tom Sizemore, Eric Bana. Uh, but there's a uh, there's a cast of thousands in this movie. Uh, probably people that you may not know right off the top of your head, but you have seen them. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the very first people you see, uh, he plays a chopper pilot, is Jeremy Piven. 
Yeah. I, I, I was shocked I forgot he died in this movie. Uh, he, yeah. was the, he was the first one that went down. And, um, uh, and there's um, another one. In fact, uh, Orlando Bloom, Legolas, was yep. in this. His first movie that American audiences, I believe, saw him in. Okay. Right. And do you know who else's well, first movie this was? Eric Bana. Yep. That uh, yep. yeah, people first saw him the, uh, for the first time. You know, and he and William Fickner, who plays the other Delta team, Peter Sanderson, are two of my favorite character actors. I really, uh, you see them in a lot of movies. I thought they really displayed this understated professional element in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they both have a, they both have a presence in every movie they're in, even with little screen time they may get. They they really they are very top flight character actors in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, Sam Shepard he played General Garrison, and um, uh, great actor. Yep, great actor. And uh, Jeff, you probably recognized uh, uh, the guy that played. Um, oh crap! Uh, what the hell was his name? He was the one that ended up going deaf. Um, <laughs> mullet. Yeah, mullet. mullet. Yeah, mullet. And, uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. The, to The, the actor's uh, name is uh, Ewan Brimmer. Yeah, and uh, it, w- the amazing <laughs> thing about this is uh, there's a piece of trivia there that I'm going to jump ahead to, but it said uh, it says a large number of the actors who played American soldiers are actually uh, from different countries. you got Eric Banner, who's Australian. Kim Coates is Canadian. I have no idea. I-O-A-N, is that? Ian is Griffith. That? Ian Griffith, he's, he's, he's Welsh. Ewan... Uh, uh, Ewan Bremer and Ewan McGregor are from uh, from Scotland because of it's all Scottish as crap. Uh, you got Jason Isaacs uh, is English. Um, Zelkio Ivanic is Slovenian. Uh, Nikolai something Coster Costco Waldau is Danish. Tom Hardy's English. A lot of Brits. Uh, a lot of our uh, uh, our cousins from across the pond. Are in this movie, and it, it's and to be honest with you, they did a really good job. In fact, that the guy that really impressed the hell out of me was Eric Bana. I mean, he sounded about as good old boy as you can get. In fact, yeah. I mean, he he was right up there with uh, uh, Liam Neeson and doing the uh, you know, next to Kim tunes. There, it's it's like wow. Uh, so I mean, it it's a it's a great cast. I mean, it is really a good solid cast of actors, and a lot of these guys have. Uh, uh, you know, have gone on to do some other stuff that we've probably seen uh, seen them in. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was funny. I was going through. I've been watching that show, Modern Family, and uh, which, <laughs> guys, if you want to watch a movie that will, I have literally woken up the next day with my stomach hurting because I've laughed so hard at this movie. And I am not a big comedy type person, but oh my god, you got to watch this. But the, we uh, watch it every Wednesday night when it's on, and yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why. And you know what? What's great is the guy that's in this, that you know, Ty Burrell, who you're bringing up. Yep. He he has one of the funnier lines in this movie. Pretty much, probably the only funny line where he says, you know, the cocktail, you know, shake and not stir or something. You know, he's he's kind of being humorous about it when he's in there trying to give the IV to the uh, to the oh, crash yeah, pilot. Oh yeah, the margaritas. Yeah, no yeah, the margaritas. Yeah, margaritas, gentlemen. No salt. My specialty. Yep. yep. There were little things where you were thinking, like, oh, they're trying to interject a little bit of humor or something. You might think, ah, oh, this guy's supposed to be like the comic. No, I'm not sure say comic relief is the right word, but okay, this people have a human element or something. And all of a sudden, bang, you get shot or something. I mean, it's real, it's gritty, and it's, it's deadly combat the whole time. Don't go into this and start thinking that this is standard Hollywood 
casting where you're going to have, okay, he's a hardcore commander, and he's a comic relief, and he's the young lieutenant. The young lieutenant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they don't do those stereotypes. I would say the only stereotyped guy in the movie was uh, the the role of um, uh, Tom Sizemore. Uh, he played um, he played uh, Colonel McKnight, and I would say, and, and when I say stereotyped, I meant stereotyped in in the sense of there's bullets flying around and he's not even taking cover. He's just walking like he's going through a day in the park, and he just has that classic attitude of you know there's bullets whizzing by, but I don't know if he's trying to put on the uh, you know the courageous look for his for his men and and all that, but and, and I shouldn't even say stereotype, but it did kind of strike me a little bit of you see that in movies where you have the one you know grizzled uh, uh, veteran who just seems to uh, have no fear, and I thought his portrayal was really good because he was you know a little bit more well not a little bit more he was very deadpan and in his delivery and everything. You know another actor who's in this movie and you don't recognize him because his head shaved is Jason Isaacs. Yes. And he played Tavington in The Patriot, and he played um, Malfoy. <laughs> this Malfoy's dad. Malfoy's dad. Uh, again, you don't recognize him because he's got his head shaved, and he looks like a bullet. Um, and again, here's another one of these great British actors. Yep. They, they are doing their best to act, quote-unquote, American. Right. Um, you would not have known, and I would never have known any of these uh, who these actors were, at the time when I first saw this, I went to the theater and saw this. I got to say, when we walked out of there, it was just completely silent. But at the time, I was like, you know, I didn't think anything about it until I saw the documentary years later. And these guys were on there being interviewed. And it's like, they're not Americans. Yeah. And it was impressive to know that they all did their best to put on a, a whatever, pick your part of the country, American accent, which was believable. Now, let me jump in real quick. There's one guy who we could have put any. 90s L.A. type actor in this role, um, Josh Hartnett. He's not forgettable. He's not memorable. He's just Josh Hartnett. You know why he's in there, don't you? Um, probably because of the Pearl Harbor tie. Yeah, it was Jerry Bruckheimer just got done filming it with uh, with him and, um, and and wanted him in this role. He's not a battling. He's just he's vanilla in the movie compared to these other actors. He is definitely overshadowed by all of them. As far as accents go, I think the only one that you could hear slip out every once in a while was Orlando Bloom. Although he didn't hear it much because he wasn't in the movie very long. Mm-mm. Yeah, he was the one guy that took the uh, that kind of took the nosedive out of the uh, out of the chopper when they moved it, and they were trying to avoid that RPG. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, all, all these are you know you've got some great solid. Uh, you know, uh, British and uh, you know some other European actors. Although, well, no, the Brits—they they don't consider themselves European. No, I just pissed them off again. God, I wonder. About, I, no. I just wonder if any of these guys still listen to me anymore. I just you know what? Mi five has, has a hit squad out coming for you. I, I go to your secret, undisclosed location. I probably the should. SAS is going to be putting a team out for you, so you just better shut up. Yeah, I probably should. I probably should. Um, guys, I want to jump over and talk a little about. Uh, about the trivia on this one, there is some uh, some pretty interesting things. I like this one here. I think this is uh, kind of a nice little touch. It says the photo of a wife and child that one of the soldiers is looking at is actually a photo of Eric Bana's wife and child. The props department forgot to take a photo of a wife and child with them, so they asked uh, Bana's wife and child who are traveling with them if they could use a photo of them in the movie. I thought that's kind of neat. 
Uh, Defense Department gave produ- the um, I'm saying the, 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 the Department of Defense gave uh, the producer a platoon of Army Rangers who did the fast rope scenes. Cool. Uh, some of the images on the monitors behind Major General Garrison are actual satellite images of the battle, which I think is kind of cool and kind of I, I mean I think that definitely had the, the provide a certain amount of uh, surrealism I think when they were making that movie that, that would be weird uh, 40 of the actors who were portraying rangers were sent to Fort Benning to attend a two week crash course in becoming rangers 15 of the actors portraying delta operators were sent to Fort Bragg and were given a two week commando course by members of the first special warfare training group that's kind of neat uh, on the last day of the week-long Army Ranger orientation at Fort Benning, the actors who portrayed the Rangers received a letter which had been anonymously slipped under their door. The letter thanked them for all their hard work and asked them to tell our story true. And it was signed with the names of the Rangers who died in the Mogadishu firefight. You know, there's a lot of people that really wanted this made and made well. Uh, you know, the, the Pentagon wasn't going to sign on this until they knew that Bruckheimer... And, and Scott were going to do justice, you know, to this movie. Uh, and Bruckheimer didn't know until about two weeks after principal shooting started that they were even going to get the Blackhawks. And I guess he had a bunch of this movie could have been bad because he had some Hueys painted black wow. in case the defense or the uh, Pentagon or Defense Department didn't go uh, with them uh, on wanting to supply the Blackhawks. If that had Happened, I think this would have been a terrible oh, move. It would have been awful. It would have been and, awful. And Jeff, to your point, not only did they they pushed all their chips into the table because they they made the Black Box and Little Birds from the 160th Soar, which is Special Operations Air Aviation Regiment available. And some of the guys who were flying those birds were at Mogadishu. Mm-hmm. But when they came in, they put all their chips in the middle of that table. Yeah. Which it, it, it's obvious. It's it's yes. terribly obvious. This is one of those movies that they didn't have full cooperation, it would have really been weaker. Uh, let's see, when Orlando Bloom auditioned for the role, he informed the casting directors that he knew what it was like to break his back, as he had done so a couple of years before when climbing out of a drain pipe from a friend's flat. I, Why was he climbing out of a drain pipe from a friend's flat? Was alcohol involved? I am betting alcohol is involved. Okay, uh, let's see. 18 U.S. soldiers died in the incident depicted in the film. The number of Somalis who died during the battle is estimated between 500 and 2,000. That's quite a uh, quite a curve in that range there. Uh, let's see. I, and in this one here, I, I didn't even know this was a Ridley Scott movie, but I, I was shocked when I saw it. Unlike Ridley Scott's previous film, G.I. Jane, this production received the full cooperation of the United States military. So there you go. G.I. Jane and Prometheus. On the bottom end of the tier. I gosh, you know, I thought I've seen most of Ridley Scott stuff, and I must have forgot about that one being his. Uh, Eighteen hours of combat is compressed into three hours of screen time, and that's led to some, you know, to those that want to criticize this movie. I'm sure you can criticize the movie you, if you really put your effort into it. But um, yeah. there was eighteen hours of time. You, have, you don't have eighteen hours to show anybody anything. So two and a half hours, you have to tell. The best story you can, and and I want to say, I think they laid out this story and the main components of it very well. I'm sure there were some other side stories or side incidents that are not covered, 
But, you know, you can't cover every little thing. And I think the way that he laid out this movie with, you know, not trying to force down the politics and the explanation of how this happened, you know, some well-placed typing on the screen and some, you know, some, some nice dialogue along the way, it brought you along on exactly why we're here, how we got here, why we're doing this, and what happened. And I feel that the story to this is very tight throughout. Yep. No, they did. He did a great job, and I think he did a good enough job of being able to show, like, throughout the time, you know, showing the timestamps, you know, on the screen. That way, people could kind of get an idea. Okay, here's how much time has elapsed, and and so on and so forth. Uh, okay, last piece here. Uh, the nickname given to the Somalis by the Rangers, Skinnies, does not actually refer to the famine and rampant malnutrition in Somalia. It is the nickname given to an alien race in Robert A. Heinlein's novel, Starship Troopers, which was a popular book passed around the battalion and is on the required reading list at West Point. The Rangers felt that their culture was so strange that they seemed to be from another planet. The skinnies do not appear in the film version of Starship Troopers. No, but there was a lot of skin showing in Starship Troopers. So That movie is not to be confused with Heinlein's book. That movie is shite. It is nothing like the book. No, it has nothing to do. I think the only thing about the book that has any remote reference is the uh, is the, title, the, the, the title, title, the name of the main character, and that's it. Yeah. Never review that movie. No, no, we no. All right, uh, let's see, gentlemen. I think it is time for that part of the show called "Brother, What You Drinking." Uh, let's go over to uh, Mr. Roney. What do you got there, sir? Well, I was drinking large tumbler of brown liquid, but it wasn't my usual. It was a little twist. I was drinking Diet Coke with about three shots of creme de cacao to give it the flavor of the good old chocolate Cokes of my youth. There you go. All right. I like chocolate Coke. Quit making those faces. I like chocolate Coke. Oh, that sounds so sickly sweet. Oh, you can suck on it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what. Yes. I will choose not to suck on anything, okay? Yeah. Um, Mr. Monty, what do you got? In honor of the Mogadishu Mile, I have the Pogues Run Porter oh, from the great um, Flat 12 Brewery over here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And um, it may be one of the best things that they have over there. Of course, I haven't tried all that many yeah, things. Not too new. They've had it for quite a while. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the the Flat 12 guys are great. Um, and it's so, locally created in our neighborhood. This stuff is made by guys. Nice. Very well done. All right, Mr. Mark, what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking the brown liquor, but not the brown liquor of creme de cacao and, and Coca-Cola. Uh, a little uh, Woodford Reserve double oaked. Not your standard Woodford Reserve, but the double oaked version. So. Okay. Enjoying that over uh, a little bit of ice tonight. It kind of changes the flavor. Nice. Great. I never had that. What's uh, what's the what's the distinction? Um, yeah, I know there's going to be quizzes. Uh, let me see. Let me here. I'll read it for you. Okay. Um, has been crafted in unique double barrel process. First matured in custom crafted barrel and then rebarreled in a heavily toasted, lightly charred barrel for finishing. Gives it a different flavor. It's not, you get more of the oak. It's not a heavily charred barrel that it's aged in for a longer period of time. 
So it's got a little bit crisper, lighter flavor with the oaky taste coming out of the barrel. It's good. Um, all right, guys. The uh, I just grabbed uh, I, I, as a passing thought yesterday. It's been kind of cool uh, last couple days over here. So I thought I would go with um, I thought I'd go with a stout, and I got an old standby uh, Samuel Smith's Oatmeal Stout. So that's why I'm kicking back today. Can never go wrong with Sammy Smith. Nope. Nope. I know you guys are having the same weather I am. It's feeling like fall down here. Yeah, it's cold today. All right, all right, gentlemen, that is it with brother. What you drinking? So let us uh, let's kick over and uh, do some clips here. Uh, let's see. I don't have these in any kind of particular order. Actually, I think I do. I'm just gonna. I'll just start playing. So uh, here, here's number one. These are Cuban. Bolivar, Belicoso. So this. <laughs> Miami, my friend, is not Cuba. <laughs> that was uh, that was when General Garrison was inter- uh, interrogating one of the deeds buddies, I guess. Uh, here's uh, here's Jeremy Piven or Pliven, Piven. Did I have it right? Yeah, Piven. Okay. Uh, number two. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Cliff Elvis Walcott. I'll be your pilot this afternoon. Federal regulations has designated the non-smoking Black Hawk helicopter. For those of you who rolled our Mogadishu free-to-flyer program, you'll be earning 100 per credit this afternoon. And as always, the air sickness bags are located in the seat back in front of you. That was that was some of that humor. And again, it's what Ken said. It's just guys being guys. Right. I'll say, I like the exchange between uh, Walcott and Durant. And yeah. they're uh, flying by each other, and they're talking about uh, um, uh, scrabble. Scrabble. Yeah. If it's not the dictionary, it's not a word. There. It doesn't have to be the dictionary. It's in common language. All right. Uh, number three. This is um, uh, the captain something or other was uh, kind of talking down to one of the Delta guys. You Delta boys are a bunch of undisciplined cowboys. Let me tell you something, Sergeant. We get on the five-yard line. You're going to need my Rangers. So y'all better learn to be team players. We're done here. That's He's a he's a classic Brit. And sure as hell didn't sound like one. That's Captain Steele or Major Steele. Is it Major Steele? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. This is when he uh, saw one of the guys making fun of him. You understand why we have a chain of command, don't you? Roger that, sir. Because if I ever see you undermined again, you'll be cleaning the trains with your tongue so you can't taste the difference between shit and french fries. We'll be clear. Who, cool, sir? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just got the shit-eating grin the entire time he's being dressed down there. Yep. <laughs> I, I like it when he puts him in the headlock, turns him around, and you just see him flipping off the guys behind him because they yeah. don't want to... But, you know, what's great is at the end of the movie, when he comes and pays him a visit, he's been mortal wounded. Yep. And Steele comes back to see him because yep. he's, still, he's one of his men. He, he, he cares deeply for his men. He just shows it differently than other people. All right. Uh, number five, this kind of sums up the um, kind of the anger that I think, obviously, we have towards it, as well as I'm sure the anger that a lot of the guys in the military, particularly the ones that were stuck out there, had the way this particular raid was Organized. I had requested light armor and AC-130 spectred gunships, but Washington, in all its wisdom, decided against this. Too high profile. The Blackhawks and Little Birds would provide the air cover. So, there you go. This is kind of what Colonel uh, McKnight summed it up afterwards when they uh, left the briefing and uh, one of the uh, garrison's aides came up to him and to talk to him. What's the matter, Danny? Something you don't like? 
those Spectre gunships, daylight instead of night. Late afternoon, we're all f***ed up on cot. Only part of the city of D came out a serious counterattack on short notice. <laughs> What's not the like? <laughs> oh, gosh. And, you know, the thing is, he, he just kind of shrugs. He knows it's a shitty mission he's been handed, but he's got orders. Yeah. So he's going to do the best he can to carry him out. Right. Uh, let's see. I like this one here. This is uh, th- this is classic. Oh, they're shooting at us! They're shooting at us! We'll shoot back! And yeah, and it's it's almost like that was a trope, but uh, it, it was still pretty good. Now this this one here I thought was pretty good. Why aren't you shooting? We're not being shot at yet. How can you tell? A hiss means it's close. A snap. Now they're shooting at us. <laughs> oh my gosh! And it's a thing. I, I I don't feel like we should be laughing, but it's just it's that humor, kind of like that gallows humor. You know that's there, but um, yes, it's what I was saying earlier. There's a lot of scenes like that in this movie where you sort of want to laugh. Think, ah, oh, this is you know they're trying to lighten it up, but the second you start to laugh, it turns deadly serious. Right, right. All right, last clip. I think this one really sums it up. People ask me, "Hey, who? Why do you do it, man? Wow, you're some kind of war junkie." I won't say a goddamn word. Why? They won't understand. They won't understand why we do it. They won't understand it's about the men next to you. And that's it. I said that's one of the most effective scenes in the movie. It really is. Yeah. Guys, I'm not going to go through too much of the checklist on this one, mainly because I just don't think it's appropriate for this particular movie. Um, obviously, um, did the movie know what it wanted to do? I mean, absolutely, uh, without a doubt. I think I think Ridley Scott did a, a fantastic job of uh, of portraying this. Um, I think in in a way that actually did a lot of honor uh, to the guys that were over there. So I think that's about the only uh, that's the only part of the checklist that I'm going to. Bring up, although I don't know if there's a B5 reference here or not. I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, yeah there's two. Holy cow. I can't, I can't believe you guys didn't, didn't recognize them. All right. Well, the first one is uh, Glenn Morshower. He plays Matthews, the guy in the copter. Um, the sha- the, uh, the the thicker of the two guys um, that were in. The Overwatch copters? The Overwatch guys, the guys who were in the, uh, the SOAR. Um, who were uh, relaying the directions from uh, the JCOM or something down to him? Yeah. The um, he he played Matthews in Babylon Five, and if you look at your B five cards, you've got a picture of him too. Oh oh oh! You know what I'm talking about? Yes, God bless it. Yes, I knew who, I know who he is. He was he played a um, guy called Frankie in the Babylon Five series in the ser- in the episode called uh, Acts of Sacrifice. Yeah, he was uh, one of the uh, Earth Force. Yeah. You see him on a monitor. God. Yeah. Good. You see him on a monitor. Um, But the other guy that you may not have noticed, it was uh, Garrison's Cribs, uh, the guy that was with Garrison in his uh, command uh, tent. The guy that they ended up, that uh, Garrison sent to talk to the 10th Mountain and the Pakistani and the UN to get the armor. Yep. Um, he was um, also in. Uh, he was in a movie. 
He was in the uh, Babylon 5 movie. Oh, in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, yes. And um, he played... He was on the Prometheus. He was the first officer on the Prometheus. Okay, there we go. Cool. Wow, got two B5 references out of that. I wouldn't have guessed. Oh, wow. All right. Um, guys, how, what do you think? Let's do, uh, let's do the review on this one. Hold uh, on. We haven't talked about soundtrack. Yeah. And we need to talk about the soundtrack. This movie has two different soundtracks running. It has um, actual songs um, from, from bands of the time period or before it. Uh, there's some Stevie Ray Vaughan in it. Um, there was some Stone Temple Pilots. There was Faith No More. And there was a few other um, songs that were played throughout it. Um, one of the trivia pieces also, um, when they got the green light... Um, to when they got Irene called um, over the speakers, I guess, at the base, they played uh, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Well, they could not get the rights to Welcome to the Jungle, so um, they were able to get uh, Faith No More's Falling to Pieces, which um, some people said um, uh, thematically uh, might have been exactly what happened. But then there's also the other side of the movie, which has a very haunting score by Hans Zimmer that is played throughout the movie that I thought was very well done um, for original music. Um, and it really sets that haunting tone, I feel, at, the, at, at certain points in the movie that really... Uh, you, I mean, this is one of those movies, I mean, you can feel the movie affecting you, and I think it really is not just what you're seeing on the screen, but the music that Hans Zimmer is playing, especially in a, those scenes where, you know, you see them working on, uh, I can't remember the uh, the guy they were working on there while they were holed up waiting for the uh, um, convoy to come and rescue him, but... You know, in the begin, in the very beginning of the show, and at the end, um, you know, as you're you're seeing uh, the events that have unfolded, and you're seeing the guys when they get back to the soccer stadium, and just that music kind of takes over um, how you, you know, it takes over what you're feeling. And I thought it was it was just well done to have both of those some great um, music from bands that we heard during the time period to. You know, original music by Hans Zimmer, right? Yeah, and I think also, well, it's not my taste. I think that the the African continent music also helped tell the story as well. It's not something I enjoy listening to, but you're right, Jeff. There were very distinct pieces, and they all they were different, but when they were commingled in this movie, they're very powerful. If I yeah, can throw in, too, not just on the soundtrack, but just the sound, sound editing. This uh, won an Academy Award for, you know, best sound. And it goes back to what Ridley Scott was doing. He's layering in all these different things. And sound that's going on brings in the, again, the chaos, the anarchy of the, of the uh, anarchy is not a word, but just all the confusion that's going on. I thought it was very well done. Right. Yeah, and, you know, to your point, you were talking about sound, and I think this goes hand-in-hand and why it won also for best film editing, is sound and editing in this are seamless and interact so well together, and this film is 
beautifully edited for the type of movie it is. Um, again, uh, great credit to Ridley Scott, but also to his editor, because this could have jumped all over and been edited. If it had not been edited as well as it was, it would have been a mess, because you had so many different units shooting different pieces of this movie. I think underneath a less qualified director, and Mark, I think in the beginning you said that this may be one of his best directing jobs that he's done. Um, I mean, the, even the way that they filmed this movie, as far as the look, you'll, I mean, you'll notice there, there's a color to it that they use that is, you know, it, it's not that documentary type color, but it's, it, it is different. It, it's almost like it's high definition to a point. I mean, it really, everything is just crisp and clear, but there's a color to it. It's almost like a sad mm-hmm. color. That's the best way I can say it. It's a there's little just washed out on the edges. A little bit. I mean, it's almost like there's a, you know, the color is telling the story of, uh, of the movie. And, um, and usually through the battle scenes, you know, when they're back at the base, it's, it's almost like it's filmed a little bit different, but, I have to kind of agree with you. It, it may be one of his best filming uh, and directing jobs that he's done. This is a movie that I would like to see re-released on IMAX for the visual as well as the sound, because I remember seeing Saving Private Ryan in the IMAX and hearing things I'd never heard before, secondary and tertiary sounds. And I think this movie, uh, an IMAX experience, while it would be hard to watch because of the, the content and the story, it would be... Um, uh, it would be a, something well worth seeing in an IMAX format. I totally agree. Yeah, you're right, and I can imagine what type of an effect that would have. I mean, I, I think we saw Saving Private Ryan in the IMAX at one time, yep. Mark, and it was yep. you know you're you're kind of hunkering down in your seat because you think you're about to get shot. Yeah, when you hear an MG42 to your right rear, yeah, and you're thinking, what the hell? Where'd that come from? Because you never heard it when you went to it in the regular theater. Yeah, Jeff. Thanks for bringing up the part about soundtrack because that one I actually had it on my, uh, my my list of topics to talk about, and of course I just zipped right over it. So, you know, just a one last quick little thing about the soundtrack. Um, you know, Steve Steve Ray Vaughan's version of um, Voodoo Child, I, I absolutely love. However, you cannot <laughs> download that son of a bitch without downloading the whole damn double album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has been going on for years. I want that song. I can't unless I download the whole thing. You can download any other song on that double album except for that one by itself. Um, and there's a reason for that. Yep. Yes, there is. It is that good. Yep. yep. All right, guys. Uh, I think that is it with the uh, the checklist and also, um, or I should say, the modified checklist and uh, uh, Jeff's uh, wonderful exposition on the soundtrack of this uh, great, fantastic film. So let's uh, move on to the uh, Man Cave movie review. Uh, you know what, Mr. Jeff? Why don't you go ahead and just uh, lead off on this one? You know, I don't know if I can give this a rating. There's something about this movie that just it doesn't make me want to put any stars to it. I mean it or 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 man cave drawings. You know this was to honor some fallen soldiers and to tell their story so others won't forget about it. Because had this movie not come out or the book, I don't know how many people would even even know about it. And I really want to give Mark Bowden and uh, Brockheimer because I hate Brockheimer, absolutely hate him. Um. Just a travesty to cinema, in my opinion. 
Except he did, he went above and beyond with this movie. This is by far his best work. As a producer, it, you mean? As a producer. He's just made a travesty out of things. Um, and I'm not going to go into them. But, and, and Ridley Scott did an outstanding job. I think that this movie honored those guys and allowed us to, you know, remember them and thank them and appreciate them for who they are and what they do every day. And I think it is a great kudos to them. And I just, I love this movie. Like I said, I watch this thing probably every six months. I will just put this in while I'm doing something and just watch. Um, it, it's just that good. And it, I, I'm glad we finally did it. I've been, you know, throwing it out there as something to do every now and then. But I know that it's a tough movie to get through. And, you know, it really makes – every time I watch this, I just realize what kind of giant pussy I am <laughs> that I could have never done what these guys do and am always in awe of the mental strength that these guys have to to make that commitment to do what they do um, with you know on their own and the harm that they that they put themselves into and I can't thank them enough for for the choices that they make. Amen, Mr. Ken. What do you say? Oh God, I can't argue with anything Jeff said. I agree with it. I mean, I saw this when it first came out. I read the book when it came out. I mean, I was watching the news and keeping up on this whole story when it was unrolling. So I was very interested to see how it was done. I thought they did a very good job of taking what was a very again, confusing situation and through the writing, through the dialogue, making it understandable to speak to what was going on, showing the frustrations and you know just little triumphs and tragedies that were going on the whole that whole day. I think it's a very well done movie. I think, and as Mark was saying, this is there's not many movies done on the modern on modern military. This is probably the best. You know, it's 15 years old, you know, oh, 12 years old now. It does bother me, and uh, the fact that there should be a number of other movies that have come out over the past decade about the other actions that are going on. I know there was talk. Uh, a while back about doing a movie on the Battle of Fallujah uh, in Iraq. Uh, from what I understand, I mean, I, had, I was hearing, like, major actors being thrown around, and all of a sudden it just sort of vanished. Like, oh, well, we're not going to bother with that. So when it comes down to a movie showing, you know, the U.S. military in action in a, in a small, tight, close-unit combat, this is probably the best that you're going to find, even though it is depicting something that happened, you know, 20 years ago. So, I mean, I'm sort of rambling here because this is a, it's a heavy subject, uh, but it's a movie well worth catching. If you have not seen it, I think you should. But again, be ready to look at a, a movie that's, uh, it's not, it's not here for entertainment. It's very good. Um, Mark, what do you say, sir? Um, I'll follow in both of their footsteps. This is an unflinching movie. Uh, I don't want anyone to think that this is not a movie for kids. This is not a movie for, anyone who wants to be entertained. This is a movie that has a point, and it tells it. And it's about men at war and sacrifice and why you fight, and it's for the guy next to you. It is a hard movie to watch, but it is also a very uplifting movie to watch because of what these men did and do every day 
for the guy next to them. And yes, they do it for duty, honor, country, all those other things. But at the end of the day, it's about the guy next to you because you don't want to let your buddy down. It is a very powerful movie. And we are lucky that the military, Ridley Scott, the actors, uh, everyone who took part in this movie took it seriously, um, gave it great credence, gave it great care. Um, It is evident that they wanted to do justice to the men who fell and fought on that day. And it is a powerful movie. As I said, I think it is one of Ridley Scott's best movies. And I also think it is important we recognize Mark Bowden, who wrote the book Black Hawk Down, which was the basis of the movie. If you have not read the book, whether you enjoy history, current events, uh, military conflict, you need to read this book. It is it is a seminal work about a period of time in American history, and this movie translates that book incredibly well. So I, I would I would put it to our listeners: if you have not watched the movie or read the book, do yourself a favor and do both. Yeah, no, uh, no, you're absolutely right, Mark. Like the other guy said, I'm just going to pretty much echo what they said. It's it's a it's a tough movie, uh, but we do encourage you to see it because. Uh, like the guy said, you know, Ridley Scott did a very good job of portraying, you know, the U.S. military. I think in a very positive light. But again, you know, solid movie. Probably, I think one of Ridley Scott's finer works or finest works. I should say it's definitely within the top five of his uh, of his resume, uh, in my humble opinion. But um, and great performances, uh, fantastic performances by. Uh, by everybody in there, um, I would I would agree that you know with Mark Josh Harnett was probably the you know the weakest link in there. You could have you could have got every anybody in there. Uh, it, it just seemed based on the performances of a lot of the other people in the movie, his was seemed to be the the least impressive, which is which is kind of sad because he was he's like the main act to be honest with you in the movie. But overall, uh, highly recommend it. It is uh, something that uh, everybody should see because I think, uh, like we said before, I think this is really has been forgotten by a lot of people. So um, seriously, go out there and see it. It's it's a great uh, it's a great film, awesome film as a matter of fact. All right, folks, that is it for Man Cave Movie Review episode seventy one. Uh, stay tuned for us next week. We're going to be talking about. Um, well, you know, I'm going to keep it as a surprise at this point, just to make sure that we're all going to be on the same page. Uh, next week. Uh, so until then, uh, check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us at iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. Uh, leave us a comment. Also, if you uh, like the show, give us a review. Uh, we're also on Facebook at Man Cave Movie Review, and you can follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next week, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my good and dear friend, Mark. God, this place sucks. Slover. This podcast really doesn't suck. Mogadishu <laughs> sucks, still sucks, but the movie doesn't suck. And thank you to the memories of those who died and to those who every day stand on the wall for us. Um, this movie does you honor. Yep, sure does. Uh, also saying farewell and adieu is our other very good and dear friend, Jeff. Death is a doornail, Muncie. Hey, um, if you have not read the book by Mark Bowden, it's, uh, pick it up. It's worth the read. There's a lot more... Um, a lot more personalities in there that are not covered in the movie that um, that you might find interesting. Also, there's a nice history channel, or military channel, um, hour and a half little uh, biography about 
this movie and the incidents um, that the movie's about that I think is worth the view. So you can probably find that on YouTube or something too. So if you're interested in more, there's a, there's a, there's more out there. You have to go and find it. Um, but uh, there's a lot of I think uh, I don't say after action reports, uh, memoirs or something uh, about it. And uh, um, go go and read more, and uh, I think you'll uh, gain an appreciation like we do for them. Um, and last and certainly not least is our other good and dear friend, Ken. Has anyone seen my donkey, Roni? Well, I just want to follow up on what Jeff said, because I do think that if you want to find out more about this reading, Mark Bowden's book is probably one of the best ways to find out about everything going on in the big picture. But I want to put in a plug. If you read Black Hawk Down and you like what you read, you might want to pick up his next book, which is called Killing Pablo. <laughs> which I don't know why that has not been made into a major motion picture. It has everything you would want because it's basically all about Pablo Escobar and the killing of Pablo Escobar. It's a riveting story. So, again, Mark Bowden's a very good journalist. He does a good job of really digging in, getting lots of sources, and putting big, complicated pictures into an understandable subject. Very good. All right, Ken, thanks. And I didn't know about that. I didn't know he wrote a book on, uh, on Pablo Escobar, so I'm definitely going to have to check that out. All right, folks, uh, hope you enjoyed this show. Um, do want to apologize for some of the sound issues that we probably were having throughout there. The Internet has not been our friend the last couple of weeks for whatever reason, but um, hope, you, uh, hope you stuck with it and persevered. So until then, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off. Ciao. And also joining us is our other very good and dear friend, Jeff. Jeff is a doornail, Muncie. Uh, good evening, guys. Um, I uh, I have been uh, looking forward to doing this movie for some time now, and I'm uh, glad we're able to crank it out tonight. And uh, um, hopefully after uh, consuming the amount of alcohol I have today, I will not break out, break down into tears at any point. What in the hell are you doing? Are you playing Yahtzee? I'm sorry. Yeah, you'll have to do that one all over. <laughs> no, there's, there's a, a horrible... There was a horrible case of settling in my glass, and like all the liquor was at the bottom, and I had to do something to get it to the top. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was going to make all that noise. <laughs> you, you're right, Jeff. It was like a game of Yahtzee. I was waiting for him to go, Yahtzee! Let's see if, let's see if the drink tastes better now. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nancy, are you ready? Fire away. It's all yours.